Open your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And again, uh, uh, I, I want to talk to you this morning on Father's Day. A, a verse in the Bible that says these words, I write unto you fathers. 1 John chapter 2. And when you get there, I'm going to um, uh, just, again, I wish everybody a happy Father's Day. I noticed there were some texts that were uh, written about Father's Day. And uh, uh, there were actually tweets. And one man said, my wife and I need to, my wife said, I need to grow up. I was speechless. It's hard to say anything when you have 45 gummy bears in your mouth. But I don't. Another guy wrote and he said, the missus and I have been married so long she can finish, finish my sentences. She also starts most of them and supplies the middle parts too. Here's one. My wife wanted two kittens, but I am the man in this house. So we got two kittens. That's for Weston. Uh, another one, couples have an amount that they can spend up to uh, without discussing with each other. Mine is around 50 euros. My wife's is around 643 euros and 27 cents, apparently. And then this final one, before I got married, I didn't even know that there was a wrong way to put the milk back in the fridge. So happy Father's Day. There is some things that you have to adjust to. But I want to say thank God for our dads. Mark Twain said this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in those seven years. Mark Twain wrote a lot of famous books in the late 1800s. Uh, now, there are three kinds of dads. Those who are ready to be dads, kind of few, but there are those who weren't ready to be dads. And then there are those who refuse to grow up and admit that they are dads. So you fit in one of those three categories this morning, but I'm going to talk to everyone this morning because you may not be a father, but every one of us have had a father. And we need to hear what God says to fathers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our heavenly father. Thank you for putting up with us and giving us the perfect example. But today you're going to write to dads. And I pray that we would hear and that every home would be, humbled at the fact that you give us the gift of fathers and that we would honor them like you do. Lord, please bless this preaching to the hearers this morning. Help everyone to take it seriously that the world hates uh, uh, biblical fatherhood. They, they don't mind producing babies, but they don't want men to grow up and be fathers. And I pray that you would help us to hear that you wrote to dads and you've got some encouraging and helpful and convicting words for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, almost to the end of your Bible. There are three little books, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And they're written by the same apostle um, that, um, uh, anyway, uh, they're, they're written by the same John that wrote the apostle, wrote the gospel of John and wrote uh, the book of Revelation. But uh, here in 1 John chapter 2, um, I want you to see the Bible is written to all people, all cultures, all nations, to men and women, young and old. But it has some special things written for men, and especially for dads. So look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13. John says, I write unto you, here's our words, father, fathers. And I want you to underline this because you've known him that is from the beginning. Now, I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to remember that. 
I write unto you because you know you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one, the devil. And I write unto you, little children, because you too have known the father. What a powerful thing. You know, I'm going to make a statement here. All right. I want you to just stop and ponder this for a minute. God does not praise fatherhood. You ready for this? He does not praise fatherhood. He praises fathers who know him. He praises fathers who know him. Society, our society, needs grown men who know God, who love God, who fear God, and walk with God. Selfish, immature, angry, effeminate men are the scourge of society and are the cause of its ruin. So I'm going to talk to fathers today. As I say, God does not say that we are to honor worthy fathers. It does not say that we're supposed to honor successful fathers. We're not supposed to honor nice fathers or well-behaved fathers. God just says, honor thy father. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth, along the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. May God deliver us from the constant criticism of, our, uh, of parents because of their flaws. It's, it's already hard enough being a parent, but when kids criticize and when neighbors, when everybody's criticizing everybody else, we're destroying one another. Let me say this. If you have a father, if he's still alive, honor him. What does that mean, pastor? It means spend time with him. Forgive him. Love him. Learn from him. Respect him. It'll save your sanity. It'll save your marriage. And it will save your kids. When dad's not being honored, now I doesn't mean that, that, that he's perfect. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But God says to honor, whether they're well, of, of successful and, and they're, they're great fathers. No, it just says honor thy father. And that means quit blaming him for all your failures. Now, Freud blames his mother for all of his failures. And he says most of our problems are our moms. But... A lot of people blame their fathers. Maybe their father wasn't there. Maybe their father was uh, abusive or, or, or cruel or uh, loud or harsh. I don't know. But this is a strange generation that is intent on correcting their parents. Have you noticed that? 12-year-olds argue and try to change their parents' ideas about the environment, about equality. They want to get their parents focused on what is really important in life. A 12-year-old knows what's important in life. Uh, they want to change their parents' uh, ideas about the future and about society. So what happens is children come home from school and they demand that their parents change. They sit down, they go, I'm not eating meat anymore. Uh, and they say, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, wearing that anymore because it's, it's not what we're supposed to. Children telling parents what to do is the opposite. And woe unto the nation whose, whose uh, child is the king, the Bible says. Children uh, are being used by the media. That's the truth. They're being used and abused by the school system and especially by our liberal politicians. No one should use children for such agendas. This generation is attempted, attempting to sit in judgment on all of history. Do you know the only one that's capable of judging history is Jesus Christ. So when you sit down and you say, we ought to get rid of that statue, you better be very slow and very careful. Because a 16-year-old does not know anything. They need to grow to the point where they've read enough and they've debated enough 
before they speak. You know, in the Bible, you weren't listened to till you were 20 years old. Now, you may not like that. You may think, oh, well, I listened to my nine-year-old. Go right ahead. And there's, you're supposed to listen. You're supposed to talk to one another. But we have a bad generation, folks, that does not honor their mother and father, does not honor authority, does not honor things, the ancient landmarks. And that's just, just I wanted to throw that in. God says to honor your father. Uh, it is right to discuss and debate and ask questions and request changes. But no matter how retro your parents may be, how thick-headed, how backward they are, you're doing more damage when you're hypercritical, when, you, when uh, uh, you're doing more damage to this world by encouraging children and teenagers to overrule their parents. You can, you can add up World War I casualties and World War II casualties and the damage being done by, by bad attitude kids against their parents is infinitely worse. Uh, let me give you some facts about fathers, all right? Did you know, now there's a scientific proof that more babies say dada as their first word than mama? Scientific facts, so I'm just... Did you know that becoming a dad is a natural biological result normally of being married? Being a good dad requires a miracle. Most kids, I know it's a terrifying thought, most kids turn out more like their father than they will admit. Fourth great fact about fathers, a lot of dads are not great at being dad. Most dads are not. Most dads are too harsh, too busy, too thick-headed, too uncaring. That's a fact. Uh, here's another fact about fathers. Every father fails at being a dad. Every father. I know, ladies, you're married to Mr. Perfect. I know that, but you'll find out over the years he doesn't have all the answers and he'll make wrong decisions. You will weep and you will struggle to breathe sometimes as they get to certain ages. Truth is, uh, most fathers wish they were better dads. Uh, most of us were never taught to be great dads. My dad wasn't there. When I was growing up, most of us had very poor examples. We had the television to tell us how to be a dad. Good fathers are unsung heroes. You think about it. Here's to the men who willingly give up their freedom to be with one woman for the rest of their lives. Here's to the men who want to have children. Here's to the men who willingly get up and work their butts off to pay every bill and meet every need of their family with very little left over for themselves at the end of every month. Here's to the men who bring home muddy shoes and sweaty shirts after working all day for their family. Here's to the dad who loves his wife after she has had all those children. Here's to the dad who rarely is ever asked how he is doing, but he seeks to know the hearts and hurts of everyone in his home. Here's to the men who make time for God first in their lives, reading their Bibles from cover to cover every year. Here's to the men who don't always pick up their socks and towels on the floor. Here's to the dads who still carry around pictures of their kids in their wallets. Here's to the dads who don't want anything but the biggest bear hugs. Here's to the fathers who know they have failed their families in so many ways, but keep pressing on because their family is worth it. And here's to the dads who watch the news and worry more than ever what kind of the world this, their, their children and grandchildren are going to face. Gentlemen, I salute you. Now, yes, there are some bad dads. No denying. Bad dads who have the wrong idea of what it means to be married, what it, wrong, what, what it means to be a father, or to even be male. They're so gender confused. There are many men who should not be fathers at all. The, father of father, the failure of fathers is the core problem of society. 
All the science shows children growing up without a dad are damaged. Now, I know mom makes up as much as she can, but the Bible, boy, even science tells you, God designed us to have a mom and a dad all our lives, as long as they live. Fatherless homes are the biggest problem in all nations. All the money in the world won't make up for dad not being with his kids and with his wife. Yeah, there's some bad dads, but where are the dads? Where are the fathers, flawed and all? Where's the man who will stay faithful and do what is right? I'd like to, to take this Father's Day and remind you to keep fatherhood special because not everyone gets to be a father. But God says being a dad is very special and it is very important to society. Unfortunately, it's a shame that back in 2008, primary school children in Scotland were prevented from making Father's Day cards at school because they feared embarrassing the classmates who lived without a father. And you know what's happening? They're just getting rid of fatherhood. I don't doubt in the next few years they'll replace Father, Father's Day with something else because it hurts. Well, let's, let's make fatherhood back the way it should be and let's strive to be like we should be instead of just doing away with it because we fail at it. And here's our message this morning. You see, I wanna tell you two points, all right? Number one, the job of a father is hard. Uh, a father has many responsibilities. And I'm gonna rapidly go through these things because they're not the focus of the message, but it's the ground piece of it, all right? Being a father is hard. You know what his main job is? Is to be a main provider. First Timothy chapter five and verse eight, I'll just read it there. It'll probably come up on your screen. You don't have to turn to it. Just follow me. I want to say these things very rapidly. First Peter, First Timothy 5, 8. But if any provide not for his own, his own family, and especially for those of his own house, if he doesn't provide for his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. A dad is supposed to be the main provider of the household. Now, there's sometimes where you and your wife have to work, sometimes where everybody has to work. That's how it's been throughout history. But it's in a dad that he wants to make sure that the bills are paid. It used to be instilled in young men. I was working. I had a, I had a job when I was 14 years old. That's unheard of. They call that child abuse today. I was, I was uh, uh, full-time working at 16 after school. When I say full-time, as soon as I got home from school, I changed and I went to work. Worked until 7 at night or 7.30. Came home, did my homework. 16 years old. I, 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 was, I, I grew up knowing I was supposed to work. Another thing a father's supposed to be is to be the lover of his wife. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. That's a priority. That's a job. Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the man's got a hard job, and that is to love an imperfect human being as much as God loves you as a wicked sinner. And that's our job. He's also supposed to please mama. Now, a lot of people think they love their wife, but they don't please her. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, 33, when you get married, it says, he that is married careth for the things that are of this world, how he may please his wife. Now, ladies, don't jab your husband, but the truth is God gave us the responsibility of trying to make sure you're happy. And I'll be honest with you, there's not a normal man who doesn't want to make his wife happy. Just sometimes we're, we're just dense. We're just very selfish. We're blind. We're stupid and we're wrong and forgive us. We're, our job is to make you, is to make sure, now not make every whim happy, you know that. But the job of a father to make, uh, make mama happy is his job. Unfortunately, the mom turns to the kids to make her happy, don't do that. 
keep the balance right. He's supposed to be head Bible teacher in the home. Many men, you know, I've known, uh, and many of us are now doing the wash up, the drying and the ironing. But most men refuse to enter into the teaching that is supposed to go on in a home. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs chapter four says this, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. Pay attention to me, he says. For I, here's, here's Solomon speaking, I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son. Who was Solomon's father? He was David. And Solomon says, I was my father's a son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain, hold on to my words, hear my commandments and live. So what his dad did was teach Solomon Things and then taught, taught, his Solomon, taught Solomon how to teach his son. The head teacher is the job of a dad. Listen, gentlemen, you need to know what your children are learning. You need to guide your children. If they're learning in about billions and billions of years, you need to sit down with them and show them what God says. Show them the science is not settled on that. As a matter of fact, there are more questions about how evolution works. There are gaps bigger than this universe in evolution. Come to the Bible. Yeah, yeah, we have to accept a lot of things by faith but it sure makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, don't be ignorant of the destructive agendas of today's wicked educational system. You're the head teacher in the home, and it's a big job. We don't want to do it. We don't like to do it. We want to go to our work, come home, let the mom do it. No, God said do it. He says it's our job to pass on biblical faith. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 says, this was God speaking to Moses. He says, moreover, he said, I am the God, watch this, of your father. I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look upon God. I want you to get the idea. Uh, Moses um, uh, maybe had forgotten that his father knew God. And it was important when, when God said, you know, I'm your father's God. And maybe you didn't pick up all that he taught you, Moses. But your dad taught you about me. I'm that God your father talked about. I'm the God of Abraham who taught his son Isaac, who taught his son uh, um, Isaac, uh, taught Jacob. And now your dad taught you. Biblical faith is supposed to be passed on. Deuteronomy chapter six says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy, with all thy might. Verse six, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them you are supposed to teach them diligently unto thy children. So talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Dads, it's a lot of work to pass on biblical faith. Don't. It's not the job of the church to give your children faith. We teach the Bible. We preach the Bible. We, we create an environment where it's saturation with the Bible. But it's your responsibility. If your kids aren't learning the Bible, it's not our fault. The school's not supposed to be doing it. Government's not supposed to be doing it. Mom and dad are, especially dad. So get them to church. If you want help, bring them to church. You sit at home all day and just leaving them to the TV is destroying the next generation. You're watching them right now out on the streets. They were never raised up for God. Don't you let your kids go in the same way. Pass on biblical faith that settles their heart, gives them a right foundation. Another thing, he's to be an exhorter and an encourager. You know, 
the, you're supposed to be the one who pushes your kids and gets them to do what they don't know they can do. You're supposed to honor them when they do their best. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 says this. And you know how that we, Paul speaking, uh, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So Paul was encouraging them and, and saying, you got to keep going. You got to stay faithful, just like a dad does. Here's another big thing that's needed. Dads are supposed to chase and correct and constrain their children. Now, this is very rare today. And, and maybe this might upset you, but let me tell you this. In 1 Samuel, let me tell you to go there. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11. 1 Samuel 3, 11, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. It will make, make the hair stand on the back of your neck. In that day I will perform against Eli. Eli was a high priest. He was the most important spiritual person in Israel that day. He says, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house, his family. When I begin, I will also make an end. Watch. God says, I'm having to judge his family and his home. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. What a thought. Modern society has sterilized parenting so that most parents are terrified of correcting their children. They're terrified of doing it. What if they call child line? What if they go, what if they tell grandma? Uh, let me just be real honest with you. God puts you in charge of chastening, not beating and killing your kids, but chastening, correcting them and constraining them. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. Hebrews 12 and verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor fame when thou art rebuked of him. Don't get all upset when God rebukes you. And don't get upset when your parents do it. Verse 6, for whom, for whom the Lord loveth, that's who he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. So everyone who gets saved and born again into God's family, we all get rebuked. We all get corrected. Verse 7, now, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. He'll deal with you like family. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, look at that little f. That's, that's human fathers. In that day, there wasn't a father alive who didn't chasten and correct and constrain their children. But there are a lot of deadbeat dads who sit in front of the television and don't ever lift a finger when their kids are doing wrong and their kids are out of control. What father is out there who doesn't constrain their children, doesn't um, get them to walk the narrow way and help them and guide them. Um, so uh, look down at verse nine. Furthermore, we have had our fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. You bet we did. When, when dad snapped his fingers, uh, now mom, I mean, she tries to get the kids to, uh, to comply and stuff. Then she calls dad and dad comes in and says three words, four words, and boy, they, they line up. It's just something about being a dad. God gave that to us. It says we, uh, we gave them reverence. And then he tells us the reason that goes beyond. He says, shall we not rather be in subjection to the father of spirits unto God and then live? 
So it is the responsibility of a dad to chase and correct and constrain your children because you'll answer for it. I'll answer for how I didn't do well with some of my kids in different times of their lives. Then you're supposed to, and this is very, this is very encouraging. You're supposed to not only influence that generation, your kids, but you're supposed to influence three generations for good. Proverbs chapter uh, 13, verse 22 says, a good man leaveth an heritage, an inheritance, sorry, to his children's children. They leave, they leave more than money to their grandchildren. They leave respect, character, faithfulness, integrity, honor, and stability. Man, try to influence three generations for good, not just the ones that you've got, but down all the way down beyond your death. And then make sure you grow yourself. Don't just stay the way you are. I know you think you're, you're, you're nearly perfect, but the truth is we ought to all be growing, growing not only in knowledge, but in character and in, and in humbleness and in maturity. And then lastly, which is my point, the message, my second point I'm gonna focus on, we, the, 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 the job of a father is to walk with God. You see, when, when John wrote to the fathers, he said, I write unto you fathers because you know him. And he wanted to emphasize that. And I want us to see that emphasis this morning because we need God. I, it's been said, kids need dads, but dads need God. The only way to be the man your wife needs you to be is for you to walk with God, know God, and submit to him first. The only way to be a a good dad that your children need you to be is for you to walk with God, know God, and submit to him first every day. Dads need God. To fulfill all the responsibilities of being a dad, and, and there are more, we've got to become men who know God thoroughly. Go back to 1 John. You're almost there. Keep going right from Hebrews. 1 John, let's read that verse again. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 13. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. He repeats himself, verse 14. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. Remember, God does not praise fatherhood. What does he praise? He prays those who know him intimately, passionately, closely, comfortably. Our fathers need, our families need grown men who know God, who love God, fear God, and walk with God. Do you know God? Do you ever think about comparing it and saying, I wonder if I could ask you a question about your trade, I bet you could tell me how you do what you do at work and why you do it and the manuals you've read and the experience you had. Well, like you know your trade, you should know God. If I came to your house, you're working on a hobby, and I says, boy, how did you develop this? Where'd you get this idea? How did you make that? Or what, what are you going to do with this? And you tell me about that for hours. And then I say, in the, same, in the same situation, I said, well, do you know God the same way as you know your hobby? Do you know God like you know your sports teams? You know, there are, there are kids growing up, and they know all the names of all of the players for the last 30 years. There are some, there are some adults who know that going back to the 50s. They know the statistics. They know the coaches. They know the wins and the losses. Nothing wrong with that. 
unless that's that you only know that you don't know the God who made you and God who loved you and gave himself for you. You need to know him like, like many people know their family history and their heritage. I know some people are doing some research on their family history and they know names and places and they connect all the dots and they, they know who's who and what they did and how they died and what war they were in and fantastic. But you ask them about how to find the gospel of John, they don't know how to find it. They never read their Bible all the way through from cover to cover. They don't know God. There's some of you who know your soaps and your movie stars better than you know God. There's some of you who know the words of all your favorite songs, but you can't seem to memorize a verse of scripture. Jeremiah 4, I need you to go back there. Jeremiah, after the book of Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse 22. It's a cute word in here, sottish. Now, sottish is it's not a misspelling for Scottish, <laughs> but it's sottish. I'll give you the meaning of it in just a moment. It's, a, it's just an older word. It's a good word. Jeremiah 4, 22. Your Bible says this, for my people, this is God speaking, my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. Sodish means dull, stupid, senseless, ignorant, very foolish. That's what God calls his people. Is that you? Do you know God? Let me give you three scriptures. First Chronicles, go back to the left, find First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9. This is David talking to his son. And listen to the instructions that David gave to his son in preparation to be king. And I'll give you one guess what was his first admonition, his first expectation. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, Note the next words, underline them. Know thou the God of thy father. Just stop there and soak that in for a second. Know God like I do, David says. I think, Dave, I think Solomon missed that. See, Solomon learned a lot about science. He learned a lot about the works of God. He learned about history. He learned about, I don't know, psychology and environment. He learned all the sciences and things, but he forgot about the heart of God. He didn't know God like David did. And David's first admonition was, I want you to know God like I do. Keep going. <clears throat> know thou the God of thy father and serve him. You know, when you know God, it keeps you humble. When you only know yourself and everybody's trying to find themselves. And when you know other people, you want people to serve you. Serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, seek to know him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, you go looking for other things, he will cast thee off forever. The first thing for Solomon to do as king was to know God. You know, if you were put in charge of this country, if you were put up and made T-shirt tomorrow morning, You'd be worried about, man, I got to know about this. And I got to learn about that. And I got to learn about foreign policy and about economy. Most important thing, the most important thing. And if you're, if you're going to be a dad tomorrow morning, just as important as being t shirt 
Your most important thing is, do you know God? Second scripture, Jeremiah, we were just there. Go to Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23. Jeremiah nine twenty-three. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man, the smart guy, glory in his wisdom. Don't rejoice in how smart he is. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. That's normally what we get excited about when all of a sudden we come into money or all of a sudden we make perfect straight A's on exams. It says, verse 24, but let him that glorieth, if you want to get excited, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. One more. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Almost at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he had one wish that he always had from the first day he got saved in Acts chapter 9. From that day that he got saved until the day that he died, this was his desire. Philippians chapter 3, in verse 8. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to knowing Jesus, everything else is a loss. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Yeah, you know, we can talk a good talk and say, oh, yeah, boy, if it cost me everything, I would still stay faithful until we lose everything. Then we find out how bitter we get, how shallow our commitment is. He says, I've lost all things. And lo, I do count them but a pile of manure, dung, that I may win Christ, that I may please him. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. I'm not worried about me and Mr. Perfect, which is of the law, but that I want to be found in him with that which is through the faith of Christ. I just want to follow Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And my goal is, verse 10, that I may know him more. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable all the way to his death, to his, uh, um, unto his death. Just three scriptures that encourage us, know God, glory in knowing God. Oh, that I might know him today more than I did yesterday. The truth is, there were times in your past, just like mine, where we were more zealous, more excited, more passionate about God than we are now. And that's wrong. Our desire ought to be know him better. Our desire is not just to know Bible knowledge, but know the author and to walk with him, to love him. I'll talk about that just finish here. Um, it's time. We dads made knowing God the most important thing in our life. John chapter 17, this is our last scripture. Gospel of John chapter 17, verse one. So how, you know, how important is this? I'll show you how important it is. There are too many people maybe watching today, and I appreciate you watching this live stream, but there are too many people who know about God, but they don't know him. They know about Jesus, but they don't know. Him. I know about Leo Varadkar. I know about Donald Trump. I know about uh, I know about thousands of people, but I don't know him personally. And yet God Almighty invites me to know him 
personally. John chapter 17, verse one. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He's praying. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also may glorify thee. He's about ready to go to the cross. And he says, would you honor me as I've honored you? Verse two, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. He's not holding it back on the basis of your performance. He says, you've given me power that I would be able to give life to as many as thou hast given me. And this is the life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. They might know you, God, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now know what God thinks. Know God. Do you even know what he thinks about things? You worry about other people. You worry about your wife. You worry about your kids. You worry about your boss. You worry about what everybody thinks on Facebook and on Twitter and TikTok, and I don't know what else. You worry about everybody else, but what do you think God thinks? One of the commandments in the New Testament is grieve not the Spirit of God. Think about what may upsets him. You know, the thoughts that go through your head nobody else knows about, but it grieves God. Think about that. Know what God thinks about things. Listen, to know God means to know how he feels about the language you're using and the thoughts you're thinking, the way you're talking. To know God means that you know what he says is right and what he says is wrong. Do you know God? God wouldn't be for 90% of the things that you're so tolerant of and you just go along with. Know the attitudes you need so you can replace the wrong ones that you have. God gives you a whole book of attitudes to examine and go, hmm, that's the wrong one. I need to have the right one. The book of Proverbs contrasts both sides and says you need to choose. If you want to get to know God, you need to sneak off in the morning to be alone with God just for 30 minutes before breakfast, before work, or before school. Get to know God in prayer. Pay attention to the words as you read your Bible. Seek to learn them, obey them. Say, how do I learn the Bible? Just obey everything you read. You'll, you'll do some things wrong. You'll start in Genesis and you'll start getting some wrong. You get to Exodus, Viticus, da 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 da. That's why I encourage starting John, starting Matthew and work your way to the New Testament, then go back to the Old Testament. But boy, as you make mistakes, you'll adapt, you'll learn. You go, okay, well, that was for them. That was for then. Okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do now. But you have an obedient heart. That's knowing God. Talk to him. Bring him your list. Bring him your problems. Too many men carry their problems. You know what it's like when you have no hope. Don't get that way. Cry out to him from your heart. Love the author. You know, the greatest commandment, male, female, old, young, is to love God with all your heart. Love the author. Thank you for everything you have. Serve the author. Get up from that time with him and say, I'm going to serve you today. I'm not going to serve my boss. I'm not going to serve myself. I will serve you. Everything you do for others, you do it as if you're doing it unto Jesus Christ. Worship him. Say, I don't know how to worship him. That's how you get to know him. What makes him happy? Worship him means please him and then trust him. It's time we made knowing God the priority. And by the way, your family will be all the better, all the safer, all more blessed by God for it if we would know God. <clears throat> I read a poem, it was, it's a song, if you ever find it, it's a beautiful hymn. I met God in the morning. 
I met God in the morning when, the, when my day was at its best. And his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long, the presence lingered. All day long, he stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret. Learned from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. Because all the day long the presence lingers. All the day long he stays with me as we sail in perfect calmness over every troubled sea. Here's our conclusion. What is God going to honor about you at the end of your life? Is it going to be your fishing? Is it going to be your hobbies? Maybe all your money. Is that what he's going to just say? Whoo, look at Joe. Or maybe if I read my Bible right, <clears throat> he might try and honor your personal. And I like that word comfortable. There's some people who are uncomfortable with me. There's some people who are uncomfortable with other important people. Are you comfortable with God? Well, I don't feel comfortable praying. Get comfortable. And you're not going to get comfortable unless you spend time with him. He will honor your personal, comfortable, passionate knowledge of himself. That's what he's going to honor. But I got to ask you this. Do you even know him? Do you know him? Not just here, but here with all your heart. You know enough to get started. I don't have to explain too much to you for you to know you need God. Starts with a new birth. You can't go to God as you are and expect him just to pat you on the back. It won't happen. If you go to the God of this book, he will cut you to pieces. He will expose every sin. He will make you feel like this small because that's who we are. He brings you to reality. You find out you're a dirty, rotten, filthy, wicked, blaspheming, adulterous, thieving sinner. Wow. And yet God wants you. God loves you. God wants to save you, change you. Right, watch this verse. You can get a brand new heart, a whole new heart from the manufacturer, the one who gave you the heart the first time that we so messed up with sin. He says this in Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's being born again. That's being born again. Do you know God? Gentlemen, don't leave it to your wife. Don't leave it to... There, there are many people who've told me, my kids know more Bible than I ever learned in my entire life because they come to the Bible clubs, because they come to our children's church. And then the parents are like, I, and, they, and they're honest and say, I don't know the Bible. Well, good. Know it. Don't expect me to spoon feed you all day, every day. I'm, I only see you once a week maybe twice a week. You need to feed yourself. You need to know the author of this book yourself. You will answer to God how well you know him. One person said it one day. He said, it's not what you know that gets you beyond the pearly gates. It's who you know. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I pray with every head bowed and every eye closed, in every home, men would have the fear 
cut them to the heart that, you know, we are responsible for more than just being male, than just being dad. We're supposed to be a good father, better than we are. Now, we're never going to be perfect, and God help us that we would never allow ourselves to be defeated because we are imperfect. But Lord, we ought to be better. And we're not going to be better by just doing more with our kids and just doing more with our wife and just spending more money on their happiness. That's not how we're going to be a better dad. We're going to be a better dad when we know you. We know you from cover to cover. We, you, you don't show us yourself in any other way than through the Bible. So, Lord, help men who are listening, whether they're fathers or not, father, whether they're 14 years old or 40 years old or 94. I don't care. You don't care. We need to know you. Greatest privilege of my life is to know you. And I want to know you more. And I pray that that's a hunger in every heart after today's message. If somebody's not saved, I pray they text me. I pray they phone me. I pray that I'd be able to talk to them, talk them through the gospel. Let them get saved today. All they got to do is trust what Jesus did in their place. They can never do enough. They will never be good enough. They will always fall short. The Bible even says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of of God, the perfection of God. That's why we needed a Savior who bridged that gap, who, who, who can save the furthest soul, the lowest soul. Would, would somebody just cry out to him right now? Say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. I will follow Jesus. I don't, I don't only want to be a better dad. I want to put it first. I want to be a better knower of my heavenly Father, and I know that I'll be a better dad after. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.